0: 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says this. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers. We are in the midst of a series called Eagerly desire." and we are focusing on these chapters in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapters 12 13 and 14 where Paul gives specific teaching about spiritual gifts and the gathered community our aim is to recognize what God is already doing amongst us and to stir one another to even more to be even more open to all that God wants to do In our Vision and Values series recently, we reminded ourselves that we are image bearers and kingdom bringers. We reminded ourselves that we're called to seek the kingdom. And we need to keep remembering that what we're doing now and our time in our Vision and Values are not separate. It's not that we had a season where we looked at Vision and Values and now we're looking at spiritual gifts and those things are independent no one of the reasons we want to stir ourselves in spiritual gifts one of the reasons we want to be even more open to all that God wants us wants to do is because we know that it's through the work of the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts that we are equipped to see the fulfillment of our vision and values there is a clear connection between kingdom activity and spiritual gifts And here, in these just few verses that I read, we see Paul commenting on ministries. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. There are clear echoes here of what Paul unpacks in another of his letters, the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 and 12 says this So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up or may mature. And what we're going to do in this sermon this week is just unpack a little bit these ministries. Most of our time over this series, we're looking at how the individual gifts work through individual people at different times. But here, we're going to spend a bit of time just looking at this concept of ministry. We're going to ask some questions. When does a gift become a ministry? What are these ministries are all these ministries meant to operate today or were some of them just for the time of the New Testament? Most importantly, what is the purpose of these ministries? And what safeguards, what boundaries enable that purpose to be fulfilled? And finally, often the most important question we need to ask as believers is, well, so what? You know, Why does it matter to us in what God has called us to do? Now, we can't in 25 minutes cover all that has been said about these ministries. And I want to try and be practical today. But we must recognise that this discussion around apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers often stirs up differing opinions. I have good friends who don't believe in the ministry of the apostle and the prophet today. They're Bible-believing, kingdom-seeking, godly people. And it's important, therefore, that we hold this lightly. These are not salvation issues. I believe they're important. I do believe these ministries operate today, and I believe it matters. But I want to hold those views lightly. So, When do we move from a gift, a prophetic word, say, to a ministry? When does a common calling to witness become the ministry of the evangelist? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us. The Bible lists these ministries and highlights them and calls us to honour them and receive them but doesn't really give us chapter and verse, if you'll pardon the pun, on how you move from one to the other. What the Bible does show us is that these ministries tend to be recognised rather than self-appointed. And a general point, I would say to all of us, is always be cautious of people who appoint themselves to a ministry. Sometimes as a pastor, I'll get an email from somebody who will declare they have a ministry in an area and they would like me to partner with them, which usually means they'd like me to send them some money. Now, I don't want to judge anybody. They are, I'm sure, good people, but I'm always cautious of a self-appointed ministry. Here in Scripture, we're clearly told that Christ appoints these ministries, And we're also shown that they tend to be recognised by other leaders or by the body of Christ. We are given biblical examples of these ministries being recognised. The first apostles were appointed and recognised by Jesus. You can read about it in Luke chapter 6. Paul and Barnabas were set apart by a team in Acts 13. Let me read it to you. Acts 13, verse 1. It says, Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. It doesn't tell us where they came from, it says they were there. And then it names some Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here are some ministries, apostles and outside prophets and teachers who are meeting together. And then it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So what's happening here? Well, they're meeting and there's, you know, prophets and teachers. They're worshipping. They hear, they believe they hear the Holy Spirit saying, oh no, appoint Barnabas and Saul, for what seems like an apostolic ministry to go and plant churches, and that's borne out in the rest of Acts. Then I love the way they didn't just do it straight away, they then prayed and fasted, they weighed what they thought the Holy Spirit was saying, and then they recognized them, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. That's probably the best model we have in Scripture of how a ministry is recognized if we were to treat the pastor-teacher ministry as one gift, which some do, and if we were to also equate that with eldership, which some do, there's also evidence of recognising and appointing elders. Paul and Barnabas do that in Acts. Titus is instructed to do that in Paul's letter to him. So there seems to be a recognition in my experience, and this is experience, not Scripture, but in my experience, one of the ways that we recognise someone moving from just operating in a gift to actually having a ministry are things like fruitfulness. If, if they regularly bring prophetic words, we see there's a weight to those prophetic words. If they're stepping out into new areas, we think, oh yeah, no, actually they're they're stepping out and they're leading others. Maybe there's some apostolic gifting in this. There's a fruitfulness, there's a natural gifting, which is always a difficult title, I think, because all our gifting comes from God. So at one level, it's all supernatural, but there's a natural gifting and there's always a spiritual gifting and anointing. And I say that's experience. That's not, and I'm reading that in a bit to scripture. But that's how we tend to see it. it's, it's recognized, and there's some fruitfulness and natural and spiritual gifting in the mix. What do we mean by these ministries? We can we can trip them off. God appoints apostles, second prophets, third teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What 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 are these ministries? Well, again, we could spend a day on each. Here's a simple one-sentence explanation for you. Apostle literally means sent one. There's a calling to go to new places, to break new ground for the kingdom of God, to bring the gospel into unreached areas. The prophet brings revelation from God in the moment, that can be the understanding of a season and what God is doing in it, but that can also be revelation of future. A prophet will see that revelation brings change or lays foundations for the work of God in a new area. Evangelist, Evangelists preach the gospel with fruitfulness, calling people to repentance, to response, but also equipping others to share their faith with greater assurance and effectiveness. Pastor, literally shepherd, to bring care, security, guidance and discipline to others. Teacher, to unpack the word of God with effectiveness and influence such that the word brings greater understanding, application and kingdom change in life of an individual or a community. And when we just do a simple explanation of each of the gifts, we can see that there is gifting, kind of common call and gifting behind all of them. So we're all called to go. We're all sent ones. We're all called to seek the kingdom in new places. We're all encouraged to eagerly desire the prophetic and the voice of God in all situations. We're all called to witness to those around us. We are all called to care for one another. We are all called to be students of the Word of God, allowing it to shape our lives. So we see, we're beginning to see glimpses of how the ministries connect with our personal calling and how one equips the other. Should we expect these ministries to operate today? Yes. You you knew that would be my answer. I gave you a spoiler in, in the introduction. I do believe we should see all of these ministries today. Now, a comment here. Am I talking about four ministries or five ministries? Do you know what? I don't mind. Sometimes I think, oh yeah, the pastor, teacher, that's, that's one ministry. And if you unpack the Greek and the use of the definite article, you can say, well, that clearly it's the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. And I, under, I understand that. But equally, I'm aware that you can have a pastoral gifting and ministry and not have a teaching ministry. You can have a teaching ministry and not have a pastoral ministry. If you believe, as some do, and I'd be happy to receive this, that the pastor teaching ministry equals elder, then obviously it's one gift. But again, I'm happy for and I believe so that elders will always have a pastoral and teaching gift. It's they go together, but they can also have you can also have a pastoral gifting and not be an elder. You can have a teaching ministry and not be an elder. I, I, I think it's important, but I don't think, don't think it's of ultimate importance. So I'm happy to hold it lightly. So whether we're talking four or five, I believe they're vital for the church today. I'm, I believe they continue today because there's nothing in the text that suggests they don't. <clears throat> Nowhere in Scripture does it suggest that these ministries are not operating today, as far as I can see it. Now, often people get very cautious about the first two ministries, apostle and prophet. And I understand that because there is in Scripture a uniqueness to an apostolic gifting and a uniqueness to a prophetic gifting. As my friend Andrew Wilson talks about it when he writes on this, he talks about apostles with a big A, an apostolic ministry with a small a he talks about prof- prophets with a big big p and a prophetic ministry with a small p and what he means is this in scripture there are unique apostles jesus called unique apostles. They had a unique role in establishing the gospel, in preaching the gospel, in establishing the New Testament, and they will never be replaced. And somebody carrying an apostolic ministry today is not the same as Matthew or or Peter or James. There is a uniqueness to those apostles, and we hold that. Equally, there is a unique list to Isaiah's words and Jeremiah's words and Hosea's words. They are canonical prophets. And someone bringing a prophetic word in a meeting today or someone carrying a prophetic ministry today should not be equated with an Isaiah. They are not the same. There are big P prophets There's little P prophetic ministry. And we want to honour that. And one of the ways we honour that is we make it very clear that any ministry in the 21st century comes under the authority of Scripture. And a prophet in Scripture, an apostle in Scripture, carries greater weight. But even in Scripture, we see prophetic voices and apostolic ministries that don't write Scripture. Agabus in the New Testament has a, a prophetic ministry. Philip's daughters have prophetic ministry. Barnabas didn't write scripture. Timothy didn't write scripture. Titus didn't write scripture. Yet they seem to have apostolic ministry. So I believe there is biblical evidence that these ministries operate today. One of the primary reasons that I believe they operate today is their purpose. Let me remind you of Ephesians 4. It says this, These ministries exist to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't think any of that happens Until Christ returns. And so, if these ministries exist to help us do that, they're going to exist until Christ returns. I believe these gifts still exist today because they exist for the good of the body of Christ. As we keep reminding ourselves when talking about spiritual gifts, they are given to give away and to bless others, they are given for the common good. Now, The one who receives the gift and then passes it on is often blessed. That's the grace of God. But gifts and ministries exist for the good of the community, not the aggrandizement of the one ministering. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of the word ministries. I tend to avoid saying, oh, I have a ministry. But in Scripture, the root of that word minister or to minister is actually the word servant. Or to serve. And that is a helpful reminder. It reminds us that those who have ministries are primarily servants. It reminds us that when Jesus first appointed and spoke to the big A apostles on leadership, he equates greatness in the kingdom with servanthood, not position. We must guard ourselves against seeking a platform or putting someone else on a pedestal. God gives gifts of ministries, gifts of people to the church that those ministries, those people, those men and women will serve the church. Paul, when he describes his own apostolic ministry, always talks himself as being the least the last, at the end of the procession, at the lowest point. Because through his ministry, actually, you can track it through his letters, he begins to understand with greater depth, I'm a servant of Christ for the good of the body of Christ. God gives ministries as servants to help the church grow. How then do they do that? How does a prophet work out his or her ministry? How does an apostle work out their ministry? Well, very simply, they model the behavior and activity associated with the core gift behind that ministry. If they're an evangelist, do you know what? They talk about Jesus a lot. They preach the gospel a lot. They have a missional lifestyle. They build mission into their very essence. They will teach others the why and the how of the gift. They will be consistent in both those things over numbers of seasons of life. Ministries are not short-lived. They're worked out over numbers of weeks, months, years, and decades. They will model a reliance on the ongoing anointing and calling of the Holy Spirit. And they will model a maturing in Christ-like character. Tragically, we have seen too many ministries fall and fail in recent weeks and months and years. So what safeguards can we put in place for these ministries? If they exist today, which I believe they do, if they're gifts from Christ, which I believe they are, if they exist to serve and equip the church until Christ returns, which I believe they do, how do we make sure we don't lose them? What safeguards can we put in place? How do we make sure that these ministries prosper and that the church is blessed? Well, I'm sure there's many things we could do. Here are a few. Firstly, it's vital these ministries stay connected to local church. They're meant to operate for and within the local church. They may have a broader remit than just one local church. They often do, but they must stay grounded in a local church. Secondly, I believe they should operate in teams. I don't think it's an accident that when Paul mentions them in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians 4, he bunches them together. He groups them. He doesn't talk about them individually. He talks about them in a group. Whenever Paul talks about elders, if we were to think of pastors and teachers as elders, as some do, then he always talks about elders in the plural. Team matters. We all know that isolation is dangerous for us. So team matters because within team, you get friendship and you get accountability. We often talk here every day about our Muppet friends, the people who love us enough to tell us the truth. Well, even an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher needs Muppet friends. They need team. We must always be looking for Christ-like character, not just gifting. It's character that is primary. We're not given a description of the type of character for an apostle, a prophet, or evangelist, but we are given one for elders, and it's all character. The ability to teach is a gift that's required, but it's all character. So they're kind of safeguards for the ministry themselves. What about safeguards for ourselves? Well, I would say this, beware distance between you and a ministry. Now, I love a good podcast. I love a great book. I love listening to sermons preached by people on the other side of the world. I love a conference where you go and listen to speakers who are excellent in an area. All of those things are good, but they should never replace the local. They should never replace the ministries that you know. Local church, local leaders, word of God worked out week by week. As we've said, character is of primary importance. And when someone preaches a great 45-minute sermon, I can see the gift. But I don't know the character. I don't know how that man or woman are in their family, in their friendships, with their money, in their household, with their neighbours. So I'm going to honour that gift, but I'm probably not going to receive that ministry in the way that I will, a ministry that is local and I can connect with. We protect ourselves by not putting people on pedestals, by keeping it local. So what? You know, I've done a little unpacking of these ministries, but... How does it impact us on the day today? How does it impact you tomorrow at work, the next day in college, in your household later in the week? Why should we worry about these ministries? Why should we, and when I say worry, and why should we be open to them? Why should they concern us? Well, two reasons. Number one, we're called to grow up. Why do these ministries exist? To help us mature. God loves us. Because he loves us. We say that often here. God loves us. He delights in us. He chooses us by grace. He welcomes us by grace and in his mercy. He describes us as saints and his children from day one. But he does want us to change. He does want us to mature. Paul loved the church in Corinth. But oh my word, did they drive him to distraction. Their immaturity made him mad. He loves them enough to tell them. He loves them enough to bring his apostolic gift, his teaching gift, to help them mature. We are called to greater depth in God, to greater effectiveness and influence in the kingdom of God, to become more like Jesus. And Ephesians 4 ministries are essential in helping us do that. Why? Because we do not live in a neutral world, friends. We are being bombarded by lies. We are listening to, as it were, apostolic voices from the world all the time, trying to change our view, trying to change our calling. We are being shaped by external voices consciously and subconsciously. And the vast majority of those voices are not pointing us to Jesus. They're not pointing us to kingdom effectiveness. They're not pointing us to grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and compassion and care for the poor and self-giving and service. The average person in the UK spends four hours, 28 minutes a day focused on media. Two hours, 47 minutes on social media. The average person looks at their phone at least every 12 minutes. And I think it's far more than that. And remember, the social media algorithm is not trying to change you. It's feeding you more of what you already believe. We must have voices that challenge us. We must have ministries that challenge us. And Ephesians 4 ministries are God's gift to us to do that how do we try and do it here every day well because we know that independent and isolated christians tend to drift we know that independent and isolated churches tend to drift too As an individual, I need other Christians speaking into my life. As a church, we need other ministries speaking into us on a relational basis, calling us to go, opening us up to the now word of God, calling us to witness, calling us to care, calling us to dig into Scripture. We need these gifts. We do it by being part of New Ground, part of the New Frontiers family of churches. We seek input from the apostolic and the prophetic and the evangelistic. We look to hold ourselves accountable to the new ground core team. We look to take part in prayer days and conferences and leadership training and partnering in church planting initiatives. Why? Because we have been called to grow up in God and to see the kingdom burst forth in every area Of our lives. And these ministries, these gifts of men and women from God help us do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And one of the ways you are doing that is through these gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Keep our hearts soft, Lord. Open our minds and our ears to these positive kingdom voices that help shape us, that we might be more effective for you. In your name we pray for your glory and for our blessing. Amen.